This is an AMI podcast. I'm Dave Brown, and this is a podcast version of AMI's Morning Show, now with Dave Brown. Catch the live broadcasts weekdays from 9 to 11 a.m. Eastern on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown at AM on AMI. Researchers from the University of Toronto have developed a comprehensive report about creating accessible and inclusive playgrounds. Here to tell you more is Dr. Kelly Arbor Nikotopoulos, an associate professor studying disability and physical activity at the University of Toronto's Faculty of Kinesiology and Physical Education. Dr. Arbor Nikotopoulos, thank you so much for making time to be with us today. We're grateful. Thank you very much for having me, Dave. So since 2018, you and your team have been working with the Canadian Tired Jumpstart Charities to evaluate their their inclusive play initiative. What exactly have you been analyzing and, and why? Yeah, no, great question. Um, so I had the pleasure of leading this team. And uh, we, in addition to looking at their playgrounds, so, so for the audience who are not as familiar, so Canadian Tired Jumpstart Charity, they're playgrounds that are designed to be inclusive for children of all abilities so they this is part of the larger play finds a way initiative and they committed to building at least one inclusive playground across all provinces and, ter- and territories in Canada um, currently I there are I think majority of provinces that have at least one and just in terms of to give you the scope of these these playgrounds they are upwards of 15,000 square feet they entail several different features. So for example, flat surfaces, uh, elevated elevated um, ramps to different locations in the playground, uh, different equipment that allow children to engage together in play. And so I was really intrigued about this, particularly with our playgrounds. And, um, you know, I think all of us here that are, are listening today are really um, committed to making play all, um, inclusive to all children, specifically those with disabilities. So I wanted to be able to explore more the experiences of families of children with disabilities as those with, without disabilities in using these playgrounds. So currently, we've spoken to just under 80 individuals, so which includes families of parents and their children with without disabilities, as well as we've also spoken to some recreation programmers across the different municipalities, uh, some educational professionals and how they use these spaces. Now, the report that was released a few weeks ago, that was an, another piece of this project. So in addition to learning about experiences of families in the communities that have these playgrounds. We were also committed to look at within the larger literature and practices that are used by um, playground developers, what makes it a playground fully inclusive for children with disabilities. So that report that was released provides these considerations and strategies for making a playground inclusive to children with disabilities, but also parents and grandparents who experience disability. Hmm. We'll get to the recommendations and strategies and considerations in just a moment, but I, I, I want to drill down into something that may seem like minutia, but, but I like asking this question to people who are doing the research because so oftentimes people use the word accessible and inclusive interchangeably. Even I'm guilty of that sometimes. To your mind, are those terms interchangeable? 
No. <laughs> Um, no, you know, and I, yeah, people do use them interchangeably. You know, I think in terms of accessibility, there there are certain standards. Although arguably, those standards can definitely um, be built upon. But for something to be accessible, you can access. Like, let's say, for example, a playground. So if you can, um, if you have rubberized surface, you can make a ch- an individual uses, let's say, a wheelchair can access the ground level, but. Does that then mean they can access in terms of the elevated spaces in there? So um, you can, you know, accessibility, there there are often minimums to, to reach. Uh, and whereas inclusivity really goes beyond just the built environment, in my mind, that social environment too, of that sense of belonging. So if I could take, for example, the Canadian Tire Dumpster Cherries Playgrounds, they have, for example, images of, of children who use uh, wheelchairs in some of their they have panels. So it's just that sense of belonging, of seeing, for example, a child seeing some, themselves in that space. To me, that means inclusive and goes to the experience, not just a matter of meeting a standard. Yeah, we we talk to a lot of people who are involved in universal design on the show, whether it be physical space or digital space. And so oftentimes one of the things we always come back to is is usability, right? That it's not just a matter of saying you have a feature, is the feature usable? Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. I mean, and and I think you've said it it quite, quite brilliantly. So, you know, I think that's something going back to the why, the work that we're doing is, okay, well, you know, the, this initiative, um, it's, it's an incredible initiative by Canadian Tire Jumpstart Charities. And I think as researchers, we want to dive deeper into that initiative. Our, you know, our communities finding these spaces to be inclusive mm. while they're accessible. Are they fully inclusive for that, their child, their families? Um, so, so that's a really important piece of our our work. So you mentioned strategies and considerations and recommendations when it comes to designing a more inclusive playground. We'd be here the entire hour if we had to walk through all 13 of them. But what are some of the specific ones that you'd like to highlight that really even maybe jumped off the page to you as you were putting them together? Yeah, well, I mean, to me, the first in terms of the entry into the space, like, and so that's one of the key parts and a lot of the, the research that we um, looked at the, the, the different studies come into the entry. So entrance into the playground space. I have two children. They don't experience disability, but for them, it, it like, you know, if you're, you're waving like a piece of candy in front of them, but they can't have that. I think that's the same experience of, you know, seeing a playground, but there's a, a large border around it and you can't get into that space. So um, our, our, recommendation on entrance to the playground space is wide and free of obstacles and really reaches out the surfacing that is a key piece um playground users i think we, we are very familiar with sand with wood chips um there are a lot of play experts out there that speak to the value of what's called loose parts play and having things around sand and wood chips around a constructive constructive type play well that is important I think we really need to think about though the right of all children to play. So sand creates an incredible barrier for individuals who use mobility devices particularly. Um, so that is something that within our recommendations, we highlight around the surfacing to be flat and uniform, ideally throughout the playground, but definitely in strategic places to allow access to different areas, not and not just access, but going back to the usability piece of it. 
And I think for me, the number one for our group really jumped out. Um, but at the same time, I think we being in this space, we think, of course, this should be here is around the design process, the user involvement and being families of children with disabilities. So involving children in the design process, children experience disability and their, and their caregivers, as well as disability organizations. That to me is key. Community committing to having a playground in the space, you first and foremost need to involve the, com um, the community and those, you know, all, all members of the community, not just a select group. This is something you and your colleagues have been working on for some time, and it's 141 pages. So that's a very substantial <laughs> piece of work that you've got in place there. What are the next steps? Are you hoping to maybe expand upon this? Yeah, I, you know, great question. I, you know, I think first we, we released the information and now in terms of comes all further education and how to use these considerations and strategies. So our team is really thinking now about how can we do this in, um, I'd say, an equitable way? How do we make sure we reach out to those different communities who could make use of this information, whether that be through webinars, sometimes maybe in-person kind of discussions, but there needs to be you know, 141 pages, it's a very lengthy document. And so and I think we recognize appreciation of that, but also being able to offer some further education of how to dive deeper into those considerations and strategies. And I mean, something that I'm also really keen on is, well, you know, be partnering um, with Canadian Tire Jump Start Charities, while our research does look at those playgrounds. I'm also really intrigued on how can we retrofit existing playgrounds, recognizing not all, not all playgrounds can be 15,000 square feet. Mm. So how can we revisit some of our playgrounds in our community to make them more usable, make them more friendly to the you know, children with disabilities, parents, caregivers who experience disabilities. Yeah, I, I think that makes so much sense, especially as we invest in retrofitting some of these spaces. Are we making sure that as we're doing those retrofittings to existing spaces, are we taking these considerations into account? It makes so much sense to to make that as, as a huge, huge goal as we move forward. Um, You mentioned that you want to get that information out there. Where can people get access to these recommendations in the report? Is it is it publicly available? It is. So um, the the 140 page document is located. At, it's actually on the Holland Bloor View uh, Kids Rehabilitation Hospital because it's uh, led by my colleague, Tim Ross, who's a scientist there. So there is um, a website. I wonder if I can provide that after the yep. show. But yep. we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll put it up on the blog after the show at ami.ca slash now blog because we've, we've already hopefully conditioned people to have that baked yeah. into their web browsers. In fact, it should be your home landing page, folks. Ami.ca slash now blog. Yeah, and also just like an ad, there's some um, other, there's those 13 recommendations specifically that are on what's called the Canadian Disability Participation website or project website. So cdpp.ca, there's a lot of information there with the playgrounds and as well as other aspects of inclusive and accessible um, physical activity and play for individuals experiencing disability. Well, Dr. Arbor Nikotopoulos, as you do more of these outreach programs and maybe some of these webinars that you guys want to do, keep us posted. and We'll make sure to share some of that information with the audience as well as they, uh, as they may want to get their eyes and ears on that one as well. And we thank you for your time today. I know uh, you're a busy, a busy individual doing lots of hard work. So thank you for carving out some time for us. Absolutely. Pleasure to be on the show today, Dave. You've been listening to Now with Dave Brown. Hit the subscribe button on any podcast platform and leave us a rating and a review.
Hi, I'm Ramya Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.